Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. All right, good morning, church. Um, Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 20 and also 1 Corinthians 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not commit adultery. And 1 Corinthians 6 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have made us one with you through Christ. I pray for Joel as he preaches on this scripture that you would um, help him to preach boldly and um, that you would, um, Lord, I pray specifically for people here who carry um, hurt or baggage from um, sexual immorality, people who struggle with this, are broken by this. Lord, I pray that you would use the word today to... um, to know that we are held by you, that you have chosen us as members of your own body, um, and that we are not our own, but that we belong to you. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Michelle. One of the keys to driving, at least driving in a safe way, is understanding that there are rules of the road. Uh, And so you could have a vehicle uh, that functions. It could have uh, a full tank of gas. Uh, You can know how it starts up, you know, what button to press and how the gas and brake pedals work. And you can take off, but that doesn't mean you're going to be safe Uh, because uh, the way driving works, there's all sorts of signs and cues that serve as a set of rules of the road. And, And that's important not only for you individually, but if you're ever driving 
uh, on one of our local roads and going faster than what the posted speed limit is, and I'm not looking at anyone here, uh, and the road is separated by a, a yellow line, uh, the trust that's involved that people aren't coming across that yellow line when you realize how fast you're going and how close other cars are heading in the opposite direction, there's a community-based trust that others understand the rules of the road as well. And uh, so when we think about whether it's a yellow line or a dotted white line or two solid white lines like the HOV lanes on 270 that no one seems to respect, uh, then uh, you know, all of these things serve as a set of guidelines, not only for you as an individual, but how you're connected to the driving community in our area. And as a church, as we have gone through the Ten Commandments, and we continue to work our way through, so we started with commandment number one, well, we started with an intro to try to talk about what commandments are and how they relate to our lives as Christians, but then each week we've picked up one of the Ten Commandments as we work our way through. We've encouraged you to uh, even learn those Ten Commandments. Our goal for you is that uh, by the end of November, uh, before we start Advent, that you on a sheet of paper could pull out and number 10, uh, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and get more than 70% of the commandments. Maybe even better. Maybe 100% kids. Shoot for 100%. Let's see if you can beat your parents or any of the adults here at Mosaic. So... The reason why we've done this, one of the underlying premises of the Ten Commandments, is that they're God's rules of the road, so to speak, for our lives. That the Ten Commandments for us as Christians, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, is God's rule of love that impact not only your individual lives when it comes to spiritual health, it does, but also it impacts our church community health and the ways in which we engage with one another. So following the Ten Commandments, and, and let me be clear about this, if, if you're not a Christian or if you're wrestling through this or if you are a Christian but you don't understand just how this works, following the commandments don't earn us the love of God. F following the commandments, they don't atone for or do business with our sin and the ways in which we've failed or struggled to live up to God's standard. Following the commandments, even somewhat perfectly, whether 70% or 80% or 90% or even 100%, if that were possible, does not give you new spiritual life. That's not how it works. In order to understand and know the love of God— in order to uh, grow spiritually, in order to do business with your sins, uh, in order to have spiritual life, that involves God's grace. That involves God himself reaching in by the power of his spirit and making us alive. It involves his work through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so following the commandments doesn't give us those things, but once we've turned in faith to Jesus, it's as if we now, spiritually speaking, have a spiritual car with a full tank of gas and a press button start engine that we can go out into life. And at that point, the Ten Commandments can serve as a set of spiritual rules for the road, so to speak. 
that we know now that we have the full freedom that we've received through Jesus Christ, and we're going into life, well, how do we know how to drive in ways that are healthy for us and healthy for our community? How, uh, as Jesus sums it up, do we love the Lord with all of who we are and love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, that's a great question. And as Christians, we believe that's where the Ten Commandments can step in and help us engage not just individually, but corporately, to grow up, spiritually speaking, to mature, to navigate life. There are some key questions often, key issues, that any culture, any moment that you find yourselves in history, in a specific place, with a specific set of cultures that have met together, that they work through. And in Montgomery County, in the 21st century, questions of sexual ethics are one of the dominant questions that's being navigated and worked out. It it may be one of the central subjects with which the guidelines or rules of the road, so to speak, for how we function as a community has never been more blurry. Where people think, I I can drive this way and I can do that just because I've got the gas and I can do it and I'm able to. And others think, oh, you can't be out on the roads at all. This is really scary, dangerous place. Don't do that. And as Christians, we can't control how everyone else is responding, but we can work through and say, has God given us guidance for how we navigate as a community, for how we process these questions? And that is actually what the Apostle Paul is picking up. So he's riffing off the seventh commandment, almost like a hyperlink headline that he clicks on. And in his letter to the Corinthians, who also struggled in their cultural time and place, much like there's a lot of similarities, with questions broadly of, are there ways that we can navigate our world when it comes to sexual ethics that honors God and that loves our neighbor as ourselves? That's what we're going to take up this morning in two points. Living with the rule of love and looking to our future hope. In uh, the first century, the Corinthians valued personal freedom and autonomy about as much as we do here in America in the 21st century. A sense of personal choice, a sense of autonomy to make those choices, Corinth was one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the first century world. You could walk the streets and have your full choice of who or what to worship. You could walk the streets of Corinth and get some of the best food. You could walk the streets of Corinth and choose just what you did with your body and how you lived out sexual ethics. And so in that way, you can see that there is a bit of an overlap with our own cultural moment, particularly here in the metro D.C. area. And so Paul is interacting with this church that's trying to do business with that. He has been given uh, a specific problem just a few chapters earlier, and you can go read the whole book of Corinthians later if you want. Um, And here in chapter 6, it's as if he begins to work out some general principles off that. He says, okay, I see in your own community you're wrestling with this one specific question. Here's some guidelines, so to speak, for how you can think about sex and sexual ethics as a fuller community. 
And I get on first read of 1 Corinthians 6, it can be a bit weird because there's like these quotations and he's doing business with it. And there's a bit of a back and forth. It's a lot like the classic musical Fiddler on the Roof. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, But in Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia has uh, been presented with a pledge that Modal, the tailor, has made together with his daughter, Zeidel. They're going to get married. And the camera work in the movie adaptation of this musical is just excellent. Because what happens is when they pronounce to Tevia their love for one another, the camera zooms in on his face. And he begins this dialogue of, uh, and you get to see it as uh, the audience of just what's working out. And then as he begins to do, on the other hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, it zooms out and places Tevia far away. It's as if he's working out some of the biggest challenges of the pledge that has just been pronounced to him by the tailor and his daughter. In the letter to the Corinthians, I think what's happening here with Paul is, in effect, the camera has zoomed out a bit in chapter 6. So as it's been presented to Paul, I think what we see Paul doing is, on the other hand, on the other hand. On the other hand, all things are permissible. On the other hand, food for the body and body for the food. On the other hand, Christ's resurrection. So what you're seeing in these quotes in chapter 6 is this... uh, dialogue that Paul is having with himself about some of the messages that people are hearing, but not focused around uh, the marriage of someone's daughter and a tailor, but rather about questions of sexual ethics. Underneath those messages that Paul's working through, the question of freedom, the question of power, the question of food, the question of uh, does my body and what I do with it matter? to God or to the broader community, or is it just my spiritual life, my soul that matters? These are all the things that Paul is navigating in verses 12 through 20. But underneath of it, there's at least two things I think that he's dealing with, two messages that the Corinthian church had heard that Paul wants to engage. The first in verse 12 is that all things are lawful for me. This sense of ultimate autonomy autonomy. Anything that I can do, I can do because I'm free. And Paul recognizes that this community likely was conversant with religious conservatism that was full of rules. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the people had come out of that. They were pretty familiar with all the rules-based stuff. And so they were really enjoying the freedom that they had. And they're like, hey, all things are free. And Paul picks up this underlying premise and he says, listen, in some sense, it's true. You aren't going back to some sort of rules-based connection to God. But in another sense, just because you can do something doesn't make it right or doesn't make it healthy. Doesn't make it good for your own life or good for the community. And so Paul's doing business, and he's saying, yes, as Christians, we have freedom. Yes, it's true that God's grace covers all of our sin. Not only the sin that we have committed, not only the sin that we brought in this morning to Mosaic, not only the sin that we are going to commit, but Paul says, hey, listen, friends, that's not a reason to just rack up more sin. It doesn't mean you can just keep going and do whatever you want. 
And so he's countering that message that all things are lawful for me. He's also countering this underlying message that it's just my body, it's not my soul. The idea that like spiritual vitality, spiritual life, that's all the stuff on the inside. So as long as that's good, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. For Paul, living on this side of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and the future resurrection hope, it's not an option for us as Christians to live disembodied lives. One of the biggest mistakes that the Christian church and people inside Christian churches in America can think is when I go to heaven, I am going to be floating in the clouds with maybe a diaper on and a harp, and it's going to be kind of up there and away. It's one of the biggest mistakes that we can make when it comes to what the Bible has to say about our future hope. Because the Bible's indication for what our future looks like is the resurrected Jesus. The bodily resurrected Jesus. And a new heavens and new earth where we are going to live in community. And so Paul does business with this reality that your bodies don't matter. Paul says, yes, uh, they do. Doing business with some of the premises of our own culture and the things that we wrestle with is incredibly important for us. What Paul's doing here is he's taking up the biggest questions of his day. He's recognizing the elements of truth that may exist in them, but he's also saying, wait, but this is what God's doing and how it comes to bear. That is a model, friends, for what you and I should do. I hope you are doing. If you're not doing it, I hope you pick up the practice. So that in our current day, when we're working through the guidelines of sexual ethics in our moment, it's okay to listen and try to understand what is it that people are saying? Where are they coming from? There may even be elements of it that are true and are helpful and that shine a light into the blind spots of our own lives or the ways in which we thought about things, and we can recognize those as good. But we can't stop there. We have to continue to interrogate those things, so to speak, to work through them with the revealed truth of God and Scripture. That's our challenge as Christians. So what that means is, I think, at least two things for us in application, right? One is that we have to at least be critically dealing with the messages of our day when it comes to sexual ethics, right? We have to have space to talk about them. We should uh, hopefully have friendships, relationships, ways to work through them. And not only to work through them and say, what is it that the music that we listen to with its lyrics, the shows and movies that we stream and watch, the people in my life, my neighbors, the things that I read, what is it that they're telling me here is how we should think about sexual ethics? How do I engage that and do business with it, but also... Bring the truth of God to bear. That's not easy. The church in particular, the institutional church, has not always done a great job of uh, being open about some of these dynamics, either open to critique or actively creating space to work through them. 
But in the 21st century in Montgomery County, I don't know that we have a choice if we're going to truly work this stuff out in our lives in a way that is helpful to give guidance of God's rule of love for our lives and for our community. Now, parents, a special note to you. I think this applies in your own life. I encourage you, parents, as your kids grow up in age-appropriate ways to talk with them about the realities of sex and sexual ethics, to help give guidance to them about respect for their own bodies, but more than that, the right context for how sex and sexual intimacy plays out in their lives. The culture would love to catechize your children. The culture already tries through everything that we hear, watch, see, do, in which sexual ethics or guidelines are mentioned or involved. Those are all efforts, in a sense, to shape all of us. And we can passively stand by and just be shaped by it. Or I think what Paul commends us to do is to actively take that on. And parents, you can't assume that uh, your kids, if you never talk about it, that your kids are never going to hear about sex. I'm here as a friend to tell you that's not true. Uh, they're going to hear. They're going to be shaped. And so parents, I encourage you to engage in age-appropriate ways as your kids grow on a regular and ongoing basis just what Paul has challenged us to do. Think about the messages that we hear and bring the truth of Scripture to come to bear on that. That may not look and sound the same in all of your homes. That may come at different points in your children's lives. Totally fine. Be encouraged. But don't fool yourself into thinking, if I don't talk about it, maybe everything will turn out okay. Maybe. But Paul challenges you to take it up and to say, hey, engage with your children. Or I challenge you to as an application. Talk regularly, interpret broadly, have room to talk about the real things in our lives. Okay, then looking to our future hope. Paul, in writing this letter, not only counters those underlying messages, but he turns uh, the listeners toward what they have to look forward to. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, he writes, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In verse 19b and 20, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul is making this connection to our future resurrection hope and what God has accomplished in making us spiritually alive, in dealing with our sin, and in setting forth this path that we're heading as a church community. This is really important, and I think pastorally, it really comes to bear here in, in a few key ways. In our time and day, there can be a few different messages that you hear. One, if we called it like the libertine message, it would be, you're totally free, do whatever you want, figure it out, we're not here to tell you what's right, you be your, the real you. Right? Something along those lines. So in effect, there's no rules at all. Just go be your most authentic self. And there, in purity culture, could be this far other end of the extreme, what we could call religious conservatism. There are a thousand rules. You need to follow them all and follow them perfectly if you're going to be preserved. 
And uh, most faith communities, they can gravitate one direction or the other. Um, but Paul is trying to say there's another way. Uh, you don't have to fall into liber- libertine trap. You don't have to fall into the religious conservative trap of rules. That third way is Jesus himself. The one, in a sense, who has set us free to live and to navigate and to ask questions and to work through these things. The one who has atoned for the ways in which we have sinned or fallen short or broken the rules. This, I hope, meets each of us this morning with the encouraging news of just what Jesus means when we talk about sexual ethics. Because if you have leaned this direction, you may live freely, but it's wearing on you over time. You say, man, I feel free, but it sure doesn't feel good, and it certainly doesn't feel healthy. Where is my hope? And Paul calls you to Jesus and says, it's because your spiritual vitality, spiritual intimacy with God is connected to what you do with your body and what you do with your life. That's this language of your body is not your own. You are the Lord's. Our physical, emotional, and spiritual health are more intertwined than as Westerners we often give credit. And so Jesus in the most libertine expressions of our lives, Jesus is a way to help restore us and move forward. Now, you may be more familiar with this religious conservatism rules-based side where it said, hey, we don't talk about those things, but just don't do them. But then there's not much room for what if you are doing them or what if you have done them or maybe worse of all, what if you find yourself outside the rules because you're a victim And you live with this massive amount of shame burdening you. And you don't know what to do because all you hear is the rules. Where is your hope? Paul reaches out to you this morning. And he says, the good news of the Christian faith is if that's what you have heard and known, Jesus loves you. Jesus has given himself for you. Jesus has more for you than just the shame that you're carried. In fact, he takes that on himself and delivers his honor to you. This is the good news of Christianity that Paul is trying to navigate. That in light of the resurrection of Jesus and his atonement for our sin, everything has changed. It has dealt with the ways in which we may struggle or feel shame, but it has called us to more than just living and driving and going through life with whatever we think is right. That in Christ, as Christians, we get to move forward both with our freedom and our sin and shame being dealt with and to do that in faith. That is the Christian hope. That we are not our own that we have been redeemed by God and called by him. That God loves us and cares about us enough to not let us live in a crazy world with a sense of, I have no idea what I'm doing. And at the same time, to not just dump shame upon us and say, there's no way forward for you. God loves us enough, extends grace to each of us to enter in, to bring about redemption, to give us a hope for what direction that we're headed. My hope for us as a church is that in our cultural moment, we as a community, not just on Sunday mornings through a sermon, but through our community groups, through our relationships, through the friendships that we form, we can work through those things. 
There are definitely ways in which you can go too deep, too fast in conversation. That is true. But as people who know God's guidance, if we're actively doing business with what the norms of our day are, recognizing the good things in them, but also realizing that God has something to say, that at its best is when the Christian church, both individually and as a community, serves not just as a rubber stamp for what's going on in our world, and not just a shrill, harsh counter voice, but as a group of people who enter in and say, let's do real business with them. That's the church we hope to be at Mosaic Silver Spring. That's the church that God calls you to participate in. Experiencing the freedom of Christ, working through the messages of our day, even when it comes to our sexual ethics. Let me pray that God will strengthen us to do just that. God, I ask that you will watch over us and care for us and provide for us. I ask that you... Even though we can't hear or say everything about everything this morning, I pray that you will provide for us. Whether we're feeling empty because we don't have a sense of direction, or whether we're wrestling with all the ways in which we've fallen short, Jesus, I pray that you will meet us by the power of your spirit and lift our faces to you to receive your grace and to rejoice in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we ask that you would stand and respond in song.